Welcome everybody. It's good to see everybody here this morning. And uh, we uh, thank you for all of you online who are watching and uh, listening to our class. A uh, warm welcome to everybody. And uh, you should have an orange handout. It's this color. It's uh, front to back, four pages on two pages. And so if you don't have one, I uh, strongly encourage you to get one uh, because it, they're, they're, today especially it will be pretty wordy. So I want to make sure you have the stuff you can take home. And also if you uh, don't understand something, you can... So 90% of it's in front of you, and uh, you can follow along as I talk and also have a sense of where we are in the outline, which is what I really like uh, when I'm listening to a speaker to kind of have, this, where, where are we now? Oh, we're on point two, of, and that's what the speaker is saying. Okay. Um, So we're going to be, uh, if you want to, we're, talk, we're going to talk about something you probably maybe have never even heard uh, spoken about in church, asceticism. Uh, most Christians don't know what that is, and that's a good thing, <laughs> uh, but we're going to talk about that. And uh, if you'll turn to Colossians 2, verse 20 through 23, we're going to be reading, or somebody's going to read for us here in just a minute. Um, We'll read our scriptures first, go right into the lesson, and then we'll uh, pray after we read our scripture. So if you want to uh, go into Colossians 2, uh, Chuck's going to read verses 20 through 23 for us. So Chuck, if, is everybody ready? Okay. Everybody read, ready to read the scripture? Colossians 2, verse 20. Okay. And we got Alice's getting a handout, so we'll wait for her to get back in. Colossians 2, verse 20 through 23. And I don't think I've ever heard this preached on, which is good. Uh, it's, it's, it, it, uh, for our 20th century eyes, it's kind of offensive. Uh, so let's read uh, Colossians 2, verse 20 through 23. We'll follow along, and Chuck will lead us in reading. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances, touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using, after the commandments and doctrines of men? Which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will, in will worship and humility, neglecting of the body, not any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. Right. Notice there's a question mark after verse 22. And you read it like a question. Thank you, Chuck. That was good. Uh, so the, uh, Paul is making a point by asking a question of his readers uh, to try to emphasize something. So we'll look at that in just a minute. And uh, Steve, would you lead us in prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, again, we're just thankful to be in the house, Lord, to look at your word. Lord, we just pray that you uh, help to illuminate our hearts and our minds towards the truth, or that we may change and be more like Christ. 
for those who may be sick and afflicted, just raise them up, Lord. For those who may be traveling and away from us, bring them back safely, Lord. You, as God, as you bring us forth the word, this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So we have been looking at, for a number of weeks and months, Paul's warnings against four things, and that's in your handout under Roman numeral one. Paul's warnings against uh, four things. Today we're going to be talking about asceticism, and we'll talk about what that is in a minute. But we talked about false philosophy, we talked about legalism, we talked about angel worship, and then today we'll be talking in verses 20 through 23 about asceticism. So everybody got a handout now? Everybody's good, okay. Uh, Roman number two, warning against asceticism, verses 20 through 23 that Chuck just read for us. Thank you, Chuck. The introduction here is Paul's last warning in this passage from verses 8 all the way through 23, things that Paul warned against uh, the last one is asceticism, and it's not the least at that time. Uh, asceticism has been called, and I quoted Curtis Vaughn here, a, a, a biblical seminary professor, scholar, teacher, preacher. He said asceticism is man-made rules, something made up by man, imposed as a means of gaining favor with God. Now that sounds like legalism, does it not? Works, what I can do for God uh, on my own merit to try to earn favor and to try to be, earn approval uh, and try to increase my status with God. And asceticism is a form of legalism. I'm reading right from the next sentence there. Asceticism is a form of legalism Taken to the extreme. Now you think, what do you mean by that? Well, you'll see in just a minute as we read this together. In fact, I was talking with Chuck a minute ago and I said, <laughs> steroid, uh, rather, legalism is, is like, uh, or asceticism is like legalism on steroids. I finally got it right. Asceticism is like legalism on steroids. I mean, to the nth degree. And you say, well, what do you mean by that, Scotty? Okay. The ascetic, the person that follows asceticism, and this was a, a, an, an aspect of the Gnostic heresy that Paul was refuting that was a danger to the Colossian church. And so one aspect of the, the teaching there was asceticism. And the ascetic views the body as evil. And therefore, they believe the way to holiness wrongly, the way to holiness and righteousness is to suppress, deny, restrict, restrain, and even punish the flesh, the body, and punish it excessively and harshly to restrain the body because it's the enemy. Asceticism was an element, again, of the Gnostic heresy being taught, and Paul refuted it directly in this passage. Now, why did Paul take time to address something that we really, most of us have not heard of asceticism before, and it's not prevalent as much by that name today, 
And why would Paul take so much effort and use four verses here to refute this? Uh, most, most Christians, if you came up and did the Christian on the street interview, Christian in the church interview, and you said, what is asceticism? They say, I don't know. Um, we're going to find out today. Uh, Paul, I think, addressed it because it's offensive to God. It was, it was a works-based, if not salvation, sanctification. Um, and it was based on pride, uh, James 4, 6, uh, uh, Connie, would you read James 4, 6? And what's God's attitude towards pride? That he giveth more grace, work out for, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. God resists the proud. The, the, that word means, uh, it's, it's understated. God sees the pride as his enemy and God resists the proud but he gives grace to the humble so it's offensive to God it's sin and pride is well involved in asceticism because it, it, it the person is doing works to the extreme and when you do something other than what God prescribed for salvation and for sanctification you're saying to God, God, you don't know what to do. I know better, and I am good enough to do this. And so my way is better. And I don't need the Lord Jesus Christ. I, can, I am enough to earn my own way to salvation. So uh, I can build my own self-righteousness. Okay, So we're on page... One middle of the first paragraph under introduction. So Paul refuted uh, asceticism directly. Now historically, asceticism, surprisingly, based on what they do, I don't understand why it had such a great appeal, but it had a huge, strong appeal for many. And during the centuries since then, some took this to its extremes. Um, they starve their bodies. They look like Holocaust survivors. Now, I'm going to talk about some graphic, not in graphic words, but descriptive graphic things that people did. Uh, bathing and grooming were then considered sinful. Uh, seems like it'd be sinful not to do that, but, you know, people get twisted in their perspectives when they're not going by Scripture. And there was severe, and I use that term specifically on purpose, severe neglect of the body, uh, and actually uh, bordering on abuse. And the basic needs, there was a abandoning of the basic needs, and that was all considered good. Some neglected their body until they were breeding ground for lice. And historians record to some that this was an indication of holiness, lice falling off the bodies of individuals as they walked. How perverted can people get when they don't follow scripture? Asceticism even led to celibacy, that is denying the flesh so much that you restrained the normal functions of the body, uh, remaining unmarried, uh, and monasticism, going off in a cave somewhere and contemplating the world, uh, and other erroneous views like that. It also led to many forms 
of uh, self-abuse such as body piercing, lying on nails, isolation for long periods of time, unable stopping, uh, uh, not talking, um, flagellation is the beating of yourselves with the whips, and many other excessive torturous practices. That's what that led to. Now we don't see parade, we see about everything else, but we don't see parades in San Francisco where they're going down the street whipping themselves. We uh, 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 see the opposite, but um, the, uh, the, some of the forms of this still exist. So uh, I wanted to read a quote by, um, this is by McLaren, who is a, a, actually a very uh, um, not humorous person, and he kind of has some humor in this. Um, Com McLaren, commenting on the appeal of asceticism, says that, quote, any asceticism is a great deal more to man's taste than abandoning self. They haven't really abandoned self. They will rather stick hooks in their backs <laughs> and do the swinging puja, uh, that is, you know, the hooks are on a rack and just swing on them to, to, in, to incur pain rather than give up their sins or yield up their wills. So I looked up puja because I, I thought some of you might want to know what that is because I don't know. And I think it's a Hindu, uh, it's a word used in Hinduism for someone engaged in ceremonial worship. So, uh, um, uh, so it's a religious person, so to speak, would rather swing on hooks in pain than give up their will and give up their sins. And we're going to look at the showiness of the um, uh, asceticism here. So Paul condemns this heresy, item B here, Paul condemns this heresy strongly in the four verses in chapter 2. And by the way, these are the last four verses of chapter 2. We will finish chapter 2 soon. Maybe next week, but soon. Okay, okay. So that's half the book. And the last half is easier than the first half. Okay. So Paul condemns his heresy and strongly exhorts uh, the Colossians and us not to be slaved by asceticism. And he... Uh, provides three compelling reasons. Now I see people all the time out in the world that have hooks and pins and nails and about everything else, about everywhere you can imagine. And um, I think that's not because they're ascetic. I think that's just because they're gone more towards Satan. And uh, you see a lot of... Um, of the self-mutilation type of things, which is a whole different, that falls more under verse 8 about philosophy, um, wrong philosophy. So, okay, but there are three compelling reasons that Paul, he uses here in verse 20 through 22a. The first one is, first reason that they should not be involved in this heresy is the Christian's death to the world and its principles. And so they're following the, those that do this are following the tradition of men and they're not dead to the world. They're following the world. They've gone back. They've reverted to the world. Number two, 
the human origin and character, the human origin and the human character of asceticism and its rules. This is not from God. This is our, man's origin. Man created this. And then thirdly, the failure of asceticism and its ability to restrain the flesh, the old nature, verse 23. So his most compelling reason is the last one. It's a failure. It doesn't work. You can stab yourself all you want, bleed all you want. It doesn't restrain the flesh. It just doesn't work. In fact, it inflames the flesh. Okay, so I taught the lesson right there. All right. So, number one, bottom of page one, the first reason. The Christian's death in verse 20 through 22a, the Christian's death to the world and its principles. Uh, item A, the believer's death with Christ severs, that separates, releases, and separates him from all ties and connections to asceticism was really big on rituals, rites, observances, and worldly pollutes, uh, uh, pursuits, that pollution really, worldly pursuits at self-righteousness. Asceticism reflects worldly pursuit, pursuits of righteousness, and it's not compatible, it's inconsistent with our relationship that we have with uh, Christ, who is, who is the believer's righteousness. Cindy. Uh, just a quick, the, the asceticism, is that coming from the Greek philosophy or is that something that the Judaizers are trying to enforce on it, I don't know if it came from Greek, but it, it came from, uh, the elements of it came from uh, <coughs> Jewish mosaic uh, rituals and observances, as well as other philosophies. And those were all over. I don't think it was necessarily Greek. I think it was all over. So, But it was developed by man. But I don't know the origins of the part that came from uh, Gentile philosophy. But a lot of it, why it was so appealing to them was uh, they, were, they had just come from underneath the... Uh, um, the law and the rituals and rites and the magnitude of the Pharisees created like over 400 rules and regulations uh, in their interpretation of the law. You couldn't do this, you couldn't do this, and they refined it. You can't walk 10 steps on, on Saturday and all of that. So this is a, you can have, you can have Christ, but you also need to be doing this. Exactly. So it's a great point. We know that Scripture teaches that we're saved by grace through faith because of Christ's sacrifice, death, burial, and resurrection at the cross. So it's salvation is by Christ alone, by faith alone, by grace alone. That was a rallying cry of the Reformation, right? It wasn't Christ plus, and every cult either adds something to uh, Christ for salvation or they subtract Christ altogether and make up some cunningly devised fable. Okay, so so uh, Paul's emphatic right in the middle of the paragraph under uh, bottom of page one. Paul's emphatic and powerful logic, that is his spiritual wisdom, is clearly stated here. He asks a question, and I'm paraphrasing the question. He's saying to the Colossians and us, since you died with Christ to the world's elementary system, 
why then would you revert? Why would you go back? You're going backwards. Why would you go back to this worldly system of rules and rituals and other things <clears throat> as though you were still living in the world and had not died with Christ and had not been saved? And why would you then submit and enslave yourselves to these rules? So let's go over to the top of page two here. <clears throat> so verse 20 reads, Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances? So the word if here, wherefore if, it means it's in the, in the sense of sense, S-I-N-C-E, or because. So often we use the word if conditionally to indicate that if one condition exists uh, or might be true, then another thing could be true. So if you, you could put it this way, uh, because or since the stove burner is hot, if I place my hand on it, I'm going to burn my hand, right? Okay, so if, uh, it's, not a, it's, not something, it's not a hypothetical, well, if this happens, but because this, this happens. So here it indicates that since we died with Christ, an actual true fact for the believer, then another condition will not exist. So Paul uses it to show that because or since Colossian believers had died with Christ and are not living in the world, they're not to submit or enslave themselves to worldly ordinances which are inconsistent, incompatible with being dead to the world and alive with Christ. We died with Christ when we were saved and rose again to new life. We're alive in Christ. We're not alive in the world. We're not living in the world. Paul reveals the spiritual error and the complete opposition. That is, it's completely opposite of what it should be, of being dead to the world in Christ and yet going back and reverting to these rules and rituals and attempts at self-righteousness through asceticism. And Curtis Vaughn, here's a quote from him, he says, to die from the rules of the world is to have all connections with them severed, to be done with them, to be liberated from their authority. They don't apply. Now we know that the moral uh, moral law applies because that's reflected in Christ, uh, cross, Christ, what we call the law of love, we, where he has told us all of the, 20, the 10 com 20 commandments. The 10 commandments are incorporated in what Christ taught. Okay, So subject to ordinances. We as men and women, humans, we just love to have rules. Now we love to break them when we're young, but we laugh, when we're older and we're trying to, we're trying to, you know, live a life. We think of, well, I come to church every Sunday, I I um, I tithe, I I love people, um, I read my Bible, I pray, and, and we think of Christianity as doing things, and so we we love to be subject to ordinances because we kind of measure that. 
And there's a comfort in doing that. And also, it's appealing to the flesh because as you kind of get successful, you pump your chest out and say, I'm doing really well, you know, compared to others. And so, subject ordinances, verse 20, it's one word in the Greek, and I put that word down there, I think it's pronounced dogmatizo, as a verb. It's a word used in verse 14 also uh, of blotting out the bond of ordinances that um, um, in, in verse 14 it's uh, also ordinances uh, but it's dogmata okay and uh, that were against us so here in this verse it means to subject yourselves to ordinances or rules and it means to be to put yourself under those ordinances to be enslaved to their decrees and ordinances and commandments and permitting their lives to become a round of rules. And McLaren has another quote here. And I struggle with this one a little bit. I, 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 and then finally it dawned on me, ah, oh, that's what that means. Okay, I got it now. Okay. So these human commandments were never meant as a means of salvation. Okay, and really never meant as a, a means of sanctification either. That is, living and pleasing our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, and I quote, we all have access to the one source of illumination. And I think what he's talking about there uh, is Christ who revealed God to man. And we are bound to take our orders from the one master the one mediator that's the Lord Jesus Christ the protest against the imposition of human authority on the Christian soul is not made in the interest of self will but from reverence Paul refuting these commandments and asceticism he's doing that out of reverence to the only voice, that's Christ, who has the right to give godly commands and to receive unquestioning obedience. So when he is actually saying that when you lean on these commands as what you're doing to please God exclusively as a, under asceticism or even legalism, you're bypassing Christ. Okay, so, and grace. Okay, so... What are those commands? Well, they're in verse 21. Touch not, taste not, handle not. And uh, these are actually, as evidenced by the word taste, are examples of dietary commandments and restrictions that the false teachers taught that were necessary for holiness. You want to be holy? Don't eat this. You want to be holy? Eat this at a certain time. You want to be holy? Uh, you want to please God, earn merit, earn favor with God? Then uh, do this. Uh, don't eat at this time. Starve yourself for this period of time until after sunset. All of those kinds of things. A lot of these ordinances were from the Mosaic Law, but others came from pagan influences and asceticism. So there's a progressive order here. Don't handle, don't taste, and don't even touch. You see how it goes down the line? Okay. So now Paul... I love Paul. Paul was powerful in, in the argument. He said, 
um, and the next for, next uh, um, phrase there in item E, the middle of page two, where are all to perish, which are all to perish to, with the using, literally that reads, these foods are for the perishing in the using, or they're, which are destined to perish with use. Now, this is a subtle point, and it, I think it would fall more easily upon the Jews who are used to thinking like this. But Paul indica indicates that these foods referred to in verse 21, that they're not supposed to touch, taste, or handle. These, these foods are grown and made to be and, and are perishable. They're not eternal or spiritual. Food is not food once it's eaten. That's an argument that it's not spiritual. A special compound Greek word is used here by Paul, and it's employed, and I put the, uh, the pronunciation in there, apocrisis, apocrisis. And it's only used in the New Testament. Apo means a misuse or used to the full, and krasis means the using, a using. So it means to use up, and it emphasizes that. They're not only used, but they were used up. So I have a quote here starting the unusual. That's a quote from Lightfoot, and he's going to emphasize that. He said, the unusual word that was chosen for its expressiveness, uh, the crisis here was an apocrisis, and the things could not be used without rendering them unfit for using for further use because when they were used they were used up there's no spiritual legacy from eating and so they were focused on the wrong things here they focused on the food instead of the spiritual and so also um, Paul's question that he said, why are you going back to these things? Why are you subjecting yourself to these perishable rules after the doctrines of men and false teachers? That's the question. Why are you going backwards? You're going backwards to the, to the law and to, the, to uh, um, the things that you can do. Those things are temporary. They're perishable. Why are you doing that? And in fact, item F... The, um, the dietary regulations didn't apply anymore because the Lord Jesus Christ made all foods clean in Mark 7, okay? And this is, this is a passage where he, he confronted the Pharisees who asked him one of their, we're going to see if we can stump you questions, and they were trap questions, and they were trying to show their great wisdom and knowledge and, and actually uh, cause the Lord Jesus Christ a problem by giving him uh, a question that he couldn't answer or if he did answer would make him appear to be uh, in violation of something that would uh, be an embarrassment to him. But he always answered every one of those questions. So they, in chapter 7 of Mark, uh, he came together with the Pharisees and some of the scribes and uh, they saw the disciples eating and they said, why, Jesus, why are your men, your disciples, your followers eating without washing their hands? 
Now, they weren't asking because of sanitary practices. They, they didn't know about germs back then, but they were asking because they wanted to trap him because one of their laws was to wash hands. And he said, uh, for the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands, often eat not holding to tradition of the elders. It's our tradition that they are not doing that. And they ask him again, why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? <clears throat> so the Lord Jesus said uh, to them that, uh, I will see in a minute, Just he's, um, I'm going to read a quote here from um, MacArthur. He said, since food is merely physical, no one who eats it will defile his heart or inner person, which is spiritual. Physical pollution or in dirtiness, no matter how corrupt, cannot cause spiritual or moral pollution. They're separate. Neither can external ceremonies and rituals clean a person spiritually. So Christ then, he says, he declared all foods clean. By overturning the tradition of hand washing, Jesus in effect removed the restriction regarding dietary laws. And this is a long passage. It goes pretty much for the whole chapter. He said what a man puts in uh, is not affecting his spiritual, um, uh, a spiritual morality or a spiritual standing. But, and neither can these rituals clean people. It's what is in the heart that matters. Um, a person's defiled heart is expressed in both what he says and what he does. Okay, so it's not whether you keep the law. And so he actually, at the, in the process of doing that, he also removed the restrictions of the dietary law. And that is why um, I put in the handout F, in addition, dietary regulations didn't apply because Christ made all foods clean when he countered the Pharisees when they were trying to trap him. They tried to trap him and he even negated all of their dietary restrictions. Okay, number, number two, the first, the first compelling reason was that um, Christian's death to the world and its principles were to be dead to sin and not and also all of those uh, ritualistic things. And the and the secondly, the compelling reason is um, the human origin and character of asceticism and its rules. And this is 22b, which is uh, which are to perish after the using after the commandments and doctrines of men. So these ordinances, item A there, these ordinances and regulations and restrictions such as touch not, taste not, handle not, are after or following the precepts and doctrines of men. This is not of God. This is of man. So it's based, as I quoted Knox here, a Christian scholar. He said, it's not based on God. It's based on the will and word of men. Therefore, it's untrustworthy. We're to follow God and not man. Item B here, human origin and character of asceticism and its rules. Paul asserts that asceticism is taught by the false teachers and it's based on human, not divine origin. So that question here, 
since you died with Christ to the world's elementary systems, why then would you revert to this worldly system as though you were still living in the world and had not died with Christ and had not been saved and submit yourself and enslave yourself to these rules? And this is the new part of that question, which are not eternal matters. And they were based on the will and word of men and not God. Why would you do that? Why would you go back? And that's a powerful question. That's a very compelling question. Um, so the top of page three, the essential thought, item C here, the essential thought is that rules of the ascetic are both in origin and the medium of communications strictly human by Vaughn. So what are you saying by medium of communication? Not only the origin is from man and not from God, but how it's communicated and who communicates it is from man. It's strictly human. And that is important because man is flawed. Unless man is speaking for God as a prophet or um, uh, God is speaking directly to man, uh, that is, man is frail. And item D, the commandments and doctrines of men are false after the traditions of man, after the world, and not after Christ. Colossians 2.8 is um, Esther. Would you read that? Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. So there he mentions that after the tradition of man. When you see that, you know that that's going to be wrong because it's following man and not God. And those are meant to deceive. And after the rudiments are elements of the world. And sometimes elementary spirits is meant by that word too, rudiments. Uh, they are meant to deceive. And Second Peter 1.16, uh, Nancy. For well, we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, that phrase has always caught my attention. Cunningly devised fables. There are some people in this world and that have been in this world that can write and make up stories that are so compelling that, that you think, oh, isn't that attractive? Why shouldn't I believe that? Well, you look at Hollywood going after Eastern mysticism and these stories, these shadowy stories that are just so compelling to man, but they're false and they're really, Satan is behind them. They're meant to deceive, cunningly devised fables. And asceticism was a cunningly devised fable from man, by man, from man, for man. And item E here, the human origin of asceticism and its precepts and doctrines will also cause it to perish. They will perish because they're man's and not God's. And look at uh, 
which are all to perish with the using, and that's the food and those regulations, which is part of that asceticism, after the commandments and doctrines of men, and those are going to perish and fail. Because the next uh, item three, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. You can't have a dietary restriction and wind up with some type of a higher moral standing merit before God. We, by grace we're saved and by grace we're sanctified, not by works. Works follow salvation, but they don't uh, earn us merit before God. It's a sign of glorifying God by honoring God and naturally as we imitate Christ and become like Christ and his son, we will produce good works. By, your fr by their fruit you shall know them. They're evidence of salvation and not part of sanctification and earning more merit before God. So I am actually going to stop there because that's a convenient place to stop at the failure of asceticism. And then uh, we're going to look at also uh, three practical principles and observations of what Christi how Christianity is not like asceticism also following that. But questions, this is a good time. Anybody have a question? We have a good crowd today. Thank you all for coming. I, I pray that this has been of value to you. And Human nature is, is really amazing. Have you ever noticed? It's kind of like fashion. You know, one period of time you'll have big wide ties, and then you'll have thin ties, then you'll have medium-sized ties, and then a certain color will be a fad. Are there any other color for cars than gray? You know, that's the hot color right now for gray. Why would you want a gray car? I don't know. It's a fad. That's what people want because everybody else has it. So unfortunately, since these things were created by man, these philosophies and, and uh, angel worship and legalism and uh, also asceticism, those were all created by man. They're going to be subject to fashion. So the hot thing may be Eastern mysticism. Remember in the 70s, everybody in Hollywood was going to see the Dalai Lama or whatever. And <laughs> there, there's no peace in those things. But there is peace in the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came. And can you imagine saying to the, to the God that created all of the universe, which is far the beyond what we could ever understand, who loved us so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins and, and, and die in our place so that we might have salvation. We say to him, that's not good enough. I need to do this too. You don't really know, Lord. I, I need to do this too. And some of it is because we as Christians are ignorant. I know that's a strong word. We are unknowledgeable of the Bible, and we need to know what we believe to protect us against those cunningly devised fables. Because those, you hear some of those uh, tele-evangelists uh, on, the, on the radio or on TV, and those guys take a truth like Satan, turn it halfway 
So it sounds so good. You think, oh, that's really good. But it's a half-truth, and following that leads you into error many times. So you, I have a rule. I don't listen to an evangelist on the radio or TV unless I know that person is a... Um, He's a faithful servant of the Lord and has correct doctrine because I don't want to be led astray by half-truths and be deceived. And um, I think that um, even then when I listen, uh, I remember sitting in a particular church in my youth in the 70s and the pastor saying um, something. To t he didn't really say out outright you could lose your salvation but he said it quickly in some phrase at the end of a sentence so I went to him and said D do you believe you can lose your salvation he said yeah and this was not the pastor it was pastor when I started this church up in Sacramento when I was in the military and actually left this church because he was teaching wrong doctrine and so you have to be uh, careful you need to, like the Bereans, you need to search the scriptures that these things are so and know what you believe. So if somebody comes knocking on your door and they tell you a false, uh, they present a false religion or false uh, teaching, you can know that that's false. And that's why it's important for you to know as much about the Bible and what God has done for you and understand it to the nth degree to protect yourself part of the armor of God, the helmet of salvation and uh, all of the different aspects. We need to protect ourselves from those that would prey upon us. There is a group, one particular cult, and one of their largest groups of people that they recruit from, I'm sorry to say, is Baptists. Why? Because the average person in the pew has not immerse themselves in the knowledge of the scriptures like we talked about earlier in chapter 2 knowing the knowledge and the will of the Lord uh, and as a result they can easily be led astray by these cunningly devised fables we need to beware, beware of that and guard against it and I can't emphasize that too much uh, and so that we can um, live our lives and run the race in honoring to the Lord Jesus Christ any other? Yo. Uh, I've witnessed to a cult several times they've come to our door and they will contradict scripture. Yeah. Scripture. yeah. And the last words out of my mouth every time they start to walk away because it's always on a Sunday afternoon when they come <laughs> by. Uh, I'm going to pray for you and God bless you. Yeah. These people, how can you contradict Scripture? Or they will say, well, I don't believe that part of the Scriptures, but I believe this part. And it's because they're reading another book. Yeah. And again, also they've hook, line, and sinker swallowed the, the uh, hook and I've got involved in a cunningly devised fable cult. And most of those cults deny Christ. But a story that always has given me a great hope is uh, one church I went to in the military uh, one of the elders his wife got saved uh, and he actually led her to the Lord and I thought well that's interesting but the interesting part was she had been a member of the cult she came with somebody else to the door to witness to him and somehow 
he, he had, I don't know the exact mechanism for doing this, but somehow he was able to convince her later on in a follow-up meeting or something that uh, Christianity was true as opposed to this, I think it was Jehovah's Witness, which is you, you pretty enslaving. That's a pretty rigid gr group of people. And she got saved. It was a, a wonderful Christian and really somehow the Lord broke those bonds of, uh, of the human tradition after the tradition of man, which is Jehovah's Witness is a works-oriented thing. And it's really amazing. That said, yes, Lord. You know, it's almost like Paul getting saved, you know, to see somebody come out of that. So, well, you praise. can't love. You cannot feel love unless you're Christian and filled with the Holy Spirit. Right, right. That's the only right. time you'll be able to feel that love. Right, right. I believe that. First uh, John four nineteen, we love him because he first loved us, yeah. and that him is implied. It's really we love. So yeah, we amen. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we asked her, our church sings a lot. Yeah. And we asked her, do you ever sing? She said, oh, we never sing. We socialize. Yes. Oh. She's a Jehovah Witness. They're strictly yeah. doctrine. They're not believing that you can praise the Lord through singing and, right. and all that. They don't believe in that. They had a friend that they had no instruments in the church. They could sing, but they couldn't use instruments. I can't remember why that was. And then finally, last thing, uh, Cindy and I were uh, flying on vacation to Florida and uh, I sat next to a guy and um, started a conversation with him and, and talked almost the whole three-hour leg of that journey um, to this guy. And, and I'm pretty decent at recognizing where somebody's from and what they're out of. And... I could not tell because this guy had a lot of knowledge, but it was knowledge, wasn't knowledge according to truth. Finally, when he left, I, I, as he got up and left, I asked him what kind of church he went to, and he told me a Latter-day Saint. But he did not subscribe to the normal Mormon doctrines of that Jesus was not the second person of the Trinity and all the other things that I know of. And I asked him, and it was amazing, I thought. But they have learned to reflect back what you're saying in order to gain an entrance so they can ensnare you. And so they'll tell you what you want to hear in order to, uh, to have more time to share with people. And they actually keep records of people they visit and go back for those that are interested or might be gullible enough to accept and what's interesting is that we share, we let the Holy Spirit do the work. When they share, they have to do all of the work. And very interesting. So thank you for those stories and questions. Let's pray and ask the Lord to be with us. Father, we thank you for this book of Colossians.